never knew there was a song about Wednesday morning. Yeah, they wrote it just for Jets fans, I think. Oh, take my blues away, or my predators away, or their predators away. You what? You survived. You made it to the game. Yeah, you wet that, the whole thing. That's not a problem. It's okay. whether I'm going to survive through until ten o'clock this morning. Uh, what a game last night uh, downtown. The Jets uh, gave up two, or yeah, two two goal leads. They were up 3-1, 3-3. They went up 5-3. Paul Stastny got a goal in his first game with the Jets. He also added an assist. Uh, but the 5-3 goal was the last one the Jets would get early in the third period. Nashville scored three straight goals, including one in the last minute and a half. And uh, one 6-5. Very exciting game last night. Uh, if the Jets and the Predators meet in the second round of the playoffs, that could be seven pretty good games. Not good for your heart, probably, but it will be very exciting hockey. Um, the goaltending was not on in its finest display for either team last night. Anyway, the Paul Stastny era starts with a loss. What was his ovation when he? Uh, what was the ovation like when he scored? Incredible. Yeah. In fact, he won his first two face-offs, and the crowd cheered his two face-off wins. He got a tremendous ovation, and uh, there was some added emotion, and it was a loud building last night. Not playoff-like, of course, because nothing compares to playoff hockey in a Winnipeg arena, but it was amped up last night, to be sure. So the emotions were running high. Uh, fans left a little disappointed, but almost to a person, that was one heck of a hockey game. And I see that Nashville now has jumped into a tie with Vegas for first in the Western Conference in the NHL. Uh, Winnipeg right behind them. Nashville and Vegas, 87 points apiece. Winnipeg with 83. So despite the loss, Jets still in, uh, well, wildly good shape. Yeah, they're in a very good spot. And these teams play uh, twice more before the end of March. So it, uh, we'll keep an eye on that. Jets play Detroit on Friday night. Detroit. Detroit. Someone said to me I recently. I love the way you said that. Did you, well, you, <laughs> you remember uh, Van Earl Wright, sportscaster oh, named Van Earl Wright? Van Earl Wright. Oh, he would always, he used to be on CNN Sports and then he ended up working in Detroit, or Detroit, as he would always say. <laughs> Was WD, it WDIV? WDIV, yeah. I thought, what is he doing just now on the local sports? Because he was on CNN. Uh, he was the one who always said, and he went, Dude! Over the wall in right field. Anyway, he always said, "All right, CNN <laughs> sports." <laughs> Sorry, a little, little distracted the there. He was great, but yeah, he always said "Detroit." So I sneak that in every so often when I'm doing sports. Very catch. nice, very nice. Uh, budget day in Canada yep. yesterday. That's a little bit of a sport for a lot of people, although it's more serious business, right? Because it affects our pocketbooks. Yeah, and uh, we have all sorts of reaction on that that we're going to replay through the morning. We have a number of guests we plan to speak with. Uh, we will hear from uh, reaction from the Canadian Taxpayers Federation. The federal director uh, was on the news yesterday with Richard Cloutier and Julie Buckingham, so we'll hear from that at after 7 o'clock. At 7.45, we will speak with the Minister of Employment, Workforce Development and Labour, Patty Haidu, on the federal budget. And then after 8.30, we'll speak with Global National's Abigail Beeman. All sorts of reaction. Uh, and Greg, uh, you've pulled a variety of clips that aired yesterday on the news with Richard and Yeah, Julie. federal government has pledged to do its part to shrink uh, the disparity as it pertains to the gender pay gap in Canada. Here's Finance Minister Bill Morneau from his budget speech in Parliament yesterday. The Prime Minister issued a challenge to the world's business leaders to hire 
promote and retain more women. As he said, it's not just the right thing to do, it's the smart thing to do. We just need to do the math. On average, women earn just 69 cents for every dollar earned by men, even though about three quarters of young women have a post-secondary certificate or degree. Even women who graduate from high-demand fields like science, technology, engineering, and math earn about $9,000 less per year than their male peers. It's an important issue, Mr. Speaker, that we need to get at. It's not right, and it's not smart, either. We know that diversity in the workforce boosts productivity and profitability, and studies have shown that increasing gender diversity alone leads to more growth. According to the Centre for International Governance Innovation, a 1% increase in gender diversity means about a 3.5% bump in revenue for those companies that actively seek to hire more women. And results are even better when women are in leadership positions. When women hold leadership positions, companies see stronger financial results. They see more innovation and more effective decision-making at the board level. Other gender issues were a focus in the budget as well. Here's Global National reporter Abigail Beeman in Ottawa. Another big change is costed $1.2 billion over five years for a use-it-or-lose-it parental leave plan, an extra five weeks on EI when two parents agree to share the 40-week leave. Outside of pay and parental leave, the budget boasts a full list of gender equity goals and a tool to track them. Everything from education, where women represent only 4% of apprentices in the skilled trades, to gender-based violence. A new Centre for Gender Statistics through Stats Canada and $2 billion to help women around the world. Brett, as you mentioned, Abigail will join us at 8.37 this morning. No matter the initiative, the question of... Who will pay and how quickly becomes a question. No questions about this, though. When all the spending and revenue calculations are done, the federal government will spend considerably more money than it will bring in. Conservative leader Andrew Scheer had this to say. It's time to deliver. It's time to start showing some results. But here's the sad reality after three years of Justin Trudeau. Never has a politician boasted so loudly and spent so much to achieve so little. Justin Trudeau promised that he would only borrow $10 billion a year. This year's deficit is $18 billion. Justin Trudeau is failing to balance the budget by 2019 as he promised, ensuring that future generations of Canadians will have more and more debt to pay back. $18 billion is a big number, Brett, about $500 for every Canadian or about $650 million in total for Manitoba. Something you may not have heard about is the fact that Fargo, Moorhead, North Dakota slash Minnesota are coming really hard for your money. Apparently, we're not going to the States as much as we used to. Indeed, Canadians looking to keep more money in their pockets might be keeping away from the United States. Border crossings are down, but as Global's Zara Premji explains, the low loony might not be the only thing to blame. When was the last time you went shopping across the border? Oh, two years ago. Probably about 10, 15 years ago. It's no secret Canadians are hanging out at home a little more lately. The United States is not a safe place to be. Yeah, that's, that's about it. I'm not really scared to cross the border, but um, 
just not really interested in going down. And our neighbours down south are noticing. The Canadian exchange rate, I think, has been causing uh, a lot of you folks to stay home. So, which is distressing to us here in America. We miss Canadians. That's why Fargo-Moorhead Convention and Visitors Bureau has partnered up with several local hotels, restaurants, and the shopping centre to bring Canadians back. If it was a $100 room, it would cost you $81. Even with discounted hotel rooms to match the Canadian dollar, gift cards for some shoppers, and beer discounts, not everyone's buying what's being sold. It doesn't make sense with this dollar exchange and with this craziness. I don't like Trump at all. Whatever the reason. I can't overcome those political considerations, but I, we're trying to overcome at least some of the financial ones. Fargo says all of March will be a month to honor their Canadian neighbors. We do miss all of you Canadians. Zara Premji, Global News. Now, one of the voices you heard in there was Charlie Johnson, who is now the president and CEO of the Fargo-Moorhead Convention and Visitors Bureau. But, uh, Greg, you jumped, you pointed something out. <laughs> I can't believe. I said, uh, Charlie Johnson, didn't they have a weather guy on Fargo TV way back in the day, KXLY or something like that? Yeah, and it looks like he was uh, the WDAZ anchor. I say Z because it's our Americans, our, for our American friends. That's in, right. But it's in Fargo. It says WDAZ anchor Charlie Johnson quitting the TV news business to join the tourism business. Well, how about that? And uh, the Fargo-Moorhead Convention and Visitors Bureau announced that its board had picked him as its new president. Now, um, we digress. <laughs> <laughs> he was talking about hotel discounts. So listen to this. This is on their website, fargomoorhead.org. 30-plus hotels in the Fargo-Moorhead area will be offering rooms at par for the first four weekends in the month of March 2018. Mm. The discounted rooms in the month of March were calculated based off the exchange rate on February 1st. So if the room is $100 U.S. and you're from Canada, you're going to pay $100 Canadian. But just so you know, as of February 1st, this would have been $100 Canadian would have been the equivalent of $81 U.S. So you're going to, if the room is $100 U.S., you're going to pay $100 Canadian at 30-plus hotels for every weekend in the month of March. Zara also mentioned beer discounts. Some breweries are offering deals for Canadians. Fargo Brewing has buy a pint, get a pint, a deal that's also valid at Fargo Brewing Alehouse. And Prairie Brothers Brewing has a uh, dollar off pints with a Canadian ID. So if you go to FargoMoorhead.org, and we've got the full list of discounts here, there's a search function top right corner of the page. Just look for that magnifying glass, type the word Canada, and then you'll get to the page, hey, Canada, we miss you. And there you'll find a whole bunch of discounts and specials just for Canucks. So if this is an issue and the Canadian dollar and the value or the lack thereof is keeping us away from the United States, shouldn't this be attracting more Americans to Manitoba? You'd think so. What are we doing to attract them? Curious. We we'll might have, have to find be, out. We might have to ask some questions. Shanalee Vidal, Christian O'Mell, you okay there, pal? I'm great. Never great big, been better. Great big yawn there. I know you were at the Jets game last night. Jeff Braun's here and the omnipresent behind the glass. Jerry, as you heard in our previous segment, Fargo businesses have noticed an absence of Manitoba shoppers lately, and they are offering discounts in March to try and lure us across the border. Today, we are having coffee, talking about 
when was the last time you did some cross-border shopping? Has the plunging dollar, American politics, or other things dissuaded you from spending your cash in the USA? Why don't we start with you, Greg, actually, because I know that you have made comments in the past where you were kind of unsure as to whether or not you wanted to spend your money in the U.S. I know you are going to Chicago at some point this year. But... I am. I bit the bullet. Uh, last year, we made a conscientious decision not to go to the United States for our summer holidays, but the Foo Fighters changed all that. <laughs> They're playing at Wrigley Field, and so I have to go and see them at Wrigley Field. Ironically, the last time I set foot in the United States was to go to St. Paul to see Foo Fighters. Had a stop in Fargo on the way down. Had a, a great night of fun there with my buddy Rob. And then we uh, went down to St. Paul and stopped at the outlet mall and all that. But you know what? Now that we have the outlet mall and most of the concerts do come here and, you know, you've got jets and bombers and all sorts of things to do in Winnipeg, I find it less necessary to go to the States. And online shopping has to be affecting whether, you know, the idea of jumping in your car for a three-hour drive to go to Fargo uh, or maybe it's four hours. I, I don't know how we fast you guys. We just Googled in the newsroom. I think it's knows exactly just, short of, uh, just short of four hours. Yeah, well, I think it depends how fast and how quickly you drive. Uh, to go and get stuff that you can get online, Jeff. I, I, yeah, for sure. I have never buy anything anyways wherever I am, so it's not really an issue. <laughs> Same. But, like, even just a getaway weekend, is that something that's ever been a part of your of your being, of your existence? No, not really. I I was went through the states last year, driving through, going to southern Ontario to visit family and friends. And before that, the last time I was there was to go try to go watch a Giants game in Minneapolis. That was the, the infamous night that the Metrodome uh, collapsed. That was a debacle. Was that like yeah. five, six years ago? At least, yeah. And before that, it would have been a decade or so before I'd been in the states. So you're not. Or, I guess I went to Hawaii in 2009. So you're not a big cross border no. shopper. What about you, Shanalee? Um, I never go to the state specifically to shop, but I'm just uh, thinking back. And in 2017, I was actually in the states four separate occasions. Uh, I was in Milwaukee, Pittsburgh, Fargo, and Minneapolis, St. Paul. All of those were roller derby related trips. So I went specifically to officiate roller derby, and then I did just happen to do some shopping right. while I was there. Not not a ton, but. Uh, I do have a thing. Whenever I go to Fargo, I have to shop at Burlington Coat Factory. It's it's I it's just some day because some days you go and it's your day. Um, but other than that, I don't really go out of my way to go to the state specifically to shop or to go on a getaway getaway weekend or anything like that because I can go somewhere else in Manitoba if I want to go on a on a getaway weekend. How many coats do you have then? <laughs> uh, I don't know twenty. I. I I have a lot of coats. Is yeah, it actually coats? coats? Is that what they specialize no, they, in? It's like a it's like a winner's. Okay. <laughs> I have an embarrassing I, I have an embarrassing amount of stuff in my yeah. house. Well, you like a deal, Christian. You just got back yeah. from North Carolina. I you was went in down to Duke, the and... U.S. less than forty eight hours ago. I did not go to shop. Uh, I did buy some Duke stuff because when you're at a sports thing and you like that team, you're going to buy stuff of that team. I don't usually go to the states. I don't. I'm like Jeff Braun. I don't buy stuff. Anywhere, anyway, just food to get by and gas in the car. And that's about it for really spending for me. But I've never once been entranced by the idea of, you know what? I've got four hours to kill. Let's drive to Fargo and look around, buy some, you know, I'm a big fan of American fast food. But that would be the only reason I go down to Grand Forks or Fargo to go to the Sonic (laughs) drive-in. 
and spend eight dollars on a milkshake and a burger. I would get friends to bring back smokes when I still smoked. Okay, because the smokes are a good deal down there. Yeah, I. Uh, you mentioned buying food, and I. There is an item of food that, oh. as far as I understand, cannot be purchased in Canada anywhere, but it can be purchased in the United States where I have had it. It's chocolate fro- chocolate frosted flakes, or as they also call them down there, Choco Zucaritas! <laughs> <laughs> That's at least how I imagine they, it whenever I see it. Do you have a lot of all of those, like, the junk food and the snack food and the cereals? Like, I mean, and the Oreo cookie flavors? Grocery stores are so much fun. It's, it, it, it's true, and they're, they have just, they just, but they just have so much more people who are there to buy their stuff. So I understand it, and at the end of the day, my life isn't going to change because I have... I didn't get the Choco Flakes. I don't know. Maybe. Choco Zucaritas. <laughs> Choco right. Zucaritas. I love right. it. <laughs> when I was growing up, uh, that was the thing was, you know, you're going to take the weekend and go to the States. Because I, I lived about an hour away from Port Huron, Michigan. Uh, so it took us an hour to get there. We would spend the entire day there shopping and then come home. That was like, you know... Two, three times a year we would do that. Sure. Uh, but, I mean, since I've moved, I moved out of London, Ontario, to Wingham, Ontario, which made it mm-hmm. a lot a longer distance to get there. So I didn't do it then, and I haven't done it since. I think the last time I was in the U.S., uh, well, other than when I was driving here to move here, was uh, I went to Metropolis about uh, 10 years ago. Iowa? It's called New York City, Jerry. Illinois. Metropolis, <laughs> Illinois. Illinois. Oh, yeah. Metropolis, <laughs> Illinois. Is this a real place called Metropolis? Absolutely. Yeah. That's stupid yeah, I, name for a city. I've, uh, I've I've been there a couple of times. Went for the Superman celebration, which is always the second weekend in June. Welcome Hopefully. to City Town. I, 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 had a, I had a J.C. Penny credit card when I was in my 20s. And so sometimes... We all make mistakes. Well, you know what? Sometimes if I needed... Uh, dress shirts or a tie or whatever, I just jump in my truck, head down to Grand Forks for a few hours, grab some fast food or mm-hmm. go to Ponderosa for dinner uh, or uh, some 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 other sort of staple. Six ninety nine buffet of bad food. Yeah, you know, whatever. When <laughs> you know, when you're in twenties you don't really care. That's where I am. And right go now. down and spend some dough at uh, the JC Penny or the infamous trip I think I told you about when my whole family went down to Target in the United States when my little brother was about three. Yeah, this has been gosh, 27 years ago, to buy him a pogo ball. Nice. Taco John's for <laughs> supper, a pogo ball, and they kind of looked at us funny at the border when we come back. What did you purchase? Pogo ball, anything else? No. That was it. You sure? <laughs> that was all. That $27. Was, that was kind of a big deal, I think, like being a kid, going to the States, like just for a day trip with your parents, you know, driving to Grand Forks, at least it was for us because our parents didn't really take us on real vacation. So that was all we got. And if you're lucky, you'll get to go to Grand Forks and and uh, your dad will take the trailer. But uh, that was it. And it was just the most exciting time when you're like eight years old. But when you're, when you're growing up, it's... Uh, not as uh, not as exciting. More of a hassle. Yeah. Yeah. The the sense of I think it, it certainly came with a sense of adventure when you were a kid. Uh, for it, for us, it was we'd go down to Grand Forks and wander around Columbia Mall, and it'd be neat. And I think I remember buying REM. Uh, what's the name of the album that Losing My Religion is on? Jeff, you out of time. One. Thank you. I bought that on cassette at Columbia Mall. And then we had to wait a long time because there was a pro- there was a, like a labor issue. 
with the border guards, so it took like three hours to oh, get no. across oh, the border. Oh, I remember those days, the three, four-hour waits, and you breaking your football, and you play football at the side of the <sighs> road, waiting to cross the border. The times have definitely changed on on that front, you know, zipping down to go, and, and I mean, the sports merchandise that you used to be able to get down there. Oh, yeah. As a collector, oh, my gosh, it was crazy. When I was a teenager, we used to go across. We're, Elton was just 10 minutes from the border, so we'd go right. across to get gas, and then we'd smuggle cigarettes back. <laughs> Jeff, Statute of limitations run out on that one. CJOB.com. <laughs> yeah. And because uh, they sold Canadian cigarettes if you were right near the border somewhere. I, uh, that's, oh, yeah, look at that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't, I have nothing against going to the United States. I think just as for reasons you've pointed out, the desire to, to run down there just to shop. If I'm in the States, I will shop. If I go to Las Vegas, for example, I haven't been there since, I think, 2012. But I tend to do a lot of shopping there because stuff is way cheaper. Shoes, for example, are often mm. much cheaper there. Um, and they have stuff that you just can't buy here. But that's just sort of a, it's like a side effect of the fact that I happen to be in the United States. Yeah, and it's not like Fargo or Grand Forks have like an amazing water park. I know they have the great Canada Inns indoor water Isn't park. Isn't there a big in slide Grand in Forks. Grand Forks? Yeah, the Canada Inns. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, so they have that, but you know, outside of that... Mm. Shouldn't they be coming here for vacation instead of us going well, down there? Well, that's the other question. I think we need to start asking that question exactly, SLV, is... The 18 to 21-year-olds, they know what's up here, right? Oh, they, they, they show up. Oh. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> Do they, and and Fargo if, has the... Uh, They've got the wood chipper from the movie Fargo at the Fargo Tourism They do not. Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. <laughs> With like a fake leg sticking out of it and everything. That is Spoiler alert. You can uh, ride the Ferris wheel at Shields. Maybe we need to get a Ferris wheel at one of the sporting goods stores here. I'm Greg. He's Brett. Got an email from the city of Winnipeg. They better not be uh, jinxing anything here. City of Winnipeg, they're lifting the parking ban. The annual snow route parking ban oh, yeah. is over, effective 7 a.m. this morning. And, well, Adriana said the word snow, and you and I had a conversation earlier that there is some moisture in the forecast, in particular in the long term. So hopefully you haven't jinxed us, City of Winnipeg. You also need to say hello to some friends right now, Greg. I do. Yesterday went out to St. Alphonse's School to do some reading. We didn't read a single book. <laughs> grade six class, Mrs. Whitney's class, but we had a great time chit-chatting about radio. And the number one question was, where's Brett? Come on. They wanted to Lies. know where the heck you were. So you better say hi to the, the kids in, at St. Alphonsus School this morning, Brett. Well, hello there, kids at St. Alphonsus School. I was at work yesterday, I think, till about quarter after one. And then I was uh, I went for a walk and then I went to bed. Well, it's been a terrific. <laughs> I love to read week. So we uh, tried to get into a book, but they wanted to know stuff about the radio business and, and what we do behind the scenes here. So it was absolutely a fun way to spend part of my afternoon. Today, students across Canada will be celebrating Red Cross Pink Day. And joining us to tell us about the origins and the goals of Pink Day. We are joined by telephone by Rebecca Ulrich. She's education manager for the Red Cross of Canada. I guess we should call it by its proper name. Canadian Red Cross. Good morning, Rebecca. Good morning. Thank you for taking some time with us today. Well, thanks for having me. Well, tell us about the origins of, of, of Pink Day, because I think some people may know it as something else. Yeah, absolutely. So Pink Day actually came out of actions that happened 10 years ago when two students went to their high school 
um, wearing pink and inviting all of their fellow students to wear pink because the day before a young student had come to school wearing pink and was bullied for the color of his shirt. And so it was all about creating a safe school environment and saying that you can wear pink no matter what and that we don't stand for that. And this is not just a movement uh, that is in Nova Scotia or any single province. It's uh, coast to coast and uh, it's gone international as well, has it not? Absolutely. So we see it from coast to coast to coast, actually, and internationally in a number of different countries that are celebrating. And thank you for the reminder, coast to coast to coast, because uh, I know that here in Manitoba, we're celebrating it February 28th, but in Nunavut, it's being marked on April 11th. Am I correct in that? It's actually in both places. So um, Nunavut is marking it with us today as well. Many of the schools are participating and wearing shirts and actually have submitted films as part of the festival that we have going on today. Um, But we know that the conversation doesn't stop here. And so we're seeing schools both in Manitoba, Nunavut and across the country continuing this conversation every day. And we're hoping to really celebrate that again on April 11th. Now, uh, I know a lot of kids experience bullying, and this is something that's at top of mind for a a lot of people. Is there some heightened awareness based on uh, what happened in Parkland, Florida on Valentine's Day? Does this uh, have a different uh, meaning this year? Uh, I think that it might for some. Um, I really think that the conversation that we're seeing happen um, and that has been happening over the last number of years is helping us recognize the longer-term impacts of bullying. I know when many of us were young, bullying was that thing that it's just part of growing up where you're supposed to just tough it out and get through it. And I think as we're seeing these different really devastating situations happen to our young people or the research is showing us that anxiety and mental health concerns are increasing, that it's identifying that really bullying is having that longer term impact. And so the importance of this conversation just continues to increase. One of the things that the Canadian Red Cross is doing is the return of the Canadian Red Cross Pink Day Film Festival. Tell us about that. Yeah, so the real emphasis of the film festival is to be able to raise young people's voices up to be heard as to how we need to be dealing with this issue. And what's exceptional this year for us is throughout the 16 films that were submitted, the theme around Be Someone's Hero is really evident in that they're sharing with us how do you be a good friend? How can you be an everyday hero? That it's not about being a superhero, um, but it's about those actions that we take every day to make our peers and our friends and other people in our school and our community feel safe and respected and included. Yeah, there's just no way that you can say you're unaware that this is an issue if you're paying attention in the slightest. Rebecca, thank you for this, and uh, we look forward to hearing more about the film festival and, uh, and, and the effects of this Red Cross Pink Day across the country. Thank you. And please feel free to check out the videos. They're on our YouTube channel um, and are there for everyone to enjoy because these kids did an amazing amount of work. All right. Thank you so much for this, Rebecca. She is the education manager for the Canadian Red Cross. And again, the Canadian Red Cross Pink Day Film Festival. Mackling and McGarry in the morning on 680 CJOB. Federal government has unveiled how it will spend our money this year. When pot becomes legal, it will likely be taxed at $1 per gram or 
10% of a product's price, whichever is higher. However, Manitoba still hasn't signed on to that agreement or that idea. The Palster government is the only holdout among the provinces. Fathers, meanwhile, or a second parent, are also getting a use-it-or-lose-it allotment of parental leave. They will now have an extra five or eight weeks. The amount of time depends on whether the first parent has chosen a 12- or 18-month maternity leave. Border security is getting beefed up. With a recent influx of refugees, Ottawa is adding $173 million to enhance security and process asylum claims and $1.4 billion over the next six years going to First Nations Family and Child Services. While Manitoba's Premier is applauding some of the commitments made in this federal budget, Brian Pallister says there still is not enough work or enough being done for working Canadians. More than half uh, have less than $200 after they pay their bills every month. And there's no relief for them here. Sir. Patty Haidu is Canada's Minister of Employment, Workforce Development and Labour. She'll be in Winnipeg today to highlight the budget 2018 and what it means for us. She joins us now live on 680 CJOB. Good morning, Minister. Good morning, gentlemen. Thank you for taking some time with us. Clearly, gender pay equity and the gap between what women make and men earn in the workplace is uh, another huge priority that was outlined in this budget yesterday. Well, absolutely. I mean, one of the things that we're seeing with uh, the growing economy with the lowest unemployment rate in over 40 years is that in order to actually continue that growth, we're going to make sure that we have to make sure that everyone uh, can fully participate to their true potential. And so this budget is uh, is an acknowledgement that, you know, they're doing the right thing is also the fiscally smart thing to do. And so there's a focus on gender. But as you mentioned in your opening comments, also on making sure that Indigenous people have the foundations of success as well in their communities and, and throughout the country. One of the things that Manitoba's Premier Brian Pallister also said is he, he thinks that it's great that the, the word women appears in this budget so often, but he, uh, he mentions as well there are a lot of women, particularly older women, who would like to see more money in the budget for health care, and he's not impressed uh, with the lack, as he describes it, of funding. So what would you say to that? Well, two things. One that uh, you know, the former minister of health uh, completed the uh, the health uh, the healthcare accords, and um, you know, Manitoba saw an increase. And as well, there was a, an acknowledgement of the increase of mental health issues, and so an additional six billion across the country to deal with mental health. The focus on making sure that the, the care uh, increased care for people that are aging at home. So you know, those are things that we addressed in the previous two budgets. But I would say that listen, at the at the root of it, this is a prevention budget. I come from the world of public health and the best and most effective dollars are the ones that you prevent uh, you know those those terrible health outcomes that cost us also much money on the sort of treatment end and so when you think about housing running water access to skills training better job opportunities you know the ability to earn a decent income boosting up the 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 what we used to be called the working income tax benefit and making it an automatic benefit that low uh, low earners get every year these are the kinds of things that are going to actually reduce the strain on our health systems overall Paternal leave, uh, five or eight weeks, depending on uh, the the the, the uh, decision that the parents make. Uh, minister, worth one point two billion dollars over five years to help break the pattern of mothers automatically taking on the greater share of child rearing responsibilities. I think we've seen a gigantic trend on that front. I know my wife and I made a decision for me to take some of her maternity leave uh, eleven years ago when our children were born. Uh, who's paying for this? 
this? Does this come out of general revenue? Does it come out of EI? Can you give us an idea where this $1.2 billion comes from? So the paternal leave will will be uh, paid for through the EI program. And, you know, it's an acknowledgement, just as you said, that uh, that times need to change and that women often uh, shoulder the burden of uh, care for children, but not just children, you know. Um, often they, they are doing the unpaid work at home. And I hope that your uh, your participation in, in, in the early years of your children meant that you do more laundry and dishes and all those kinds of things. But that isn't standard across the board. And that unpaid care takes its toll on women's earning potential you know it's the kind it's the difference between having a couple extra hours in the evening to study for you know the next level of education or be able to stay late at work uh, you know to be able to take care of the things that you need to take care of in order to increase your prosperity as an individual and so we, we know that when uh, fathers spend uh, some of those the, the, that time uh, you know doing that work at home in those early years it actually um, uh, allows them to pick up some of that unpaid care and, and the research says that they continue it throughout the throughout the relationship. Our guest is Patty Haidu, Canada's Minister of Employment, Workforce Development and Labour. She will be in Winnipeg today to highlight Budget 2018 and what it means for us. And Minister Haidu, one of our listeners pointed this out. I didn't see this detail, but I see that uh, the flawed Phoenix pay system is destined for the ash heap. And uh, the, your government will spend $16 million over the next two years looking for a replacement that can rise in its place. That's got to be a good thing, right? This thing's been bad news ever since it came into play in 2016. It really has, you know, and we agree that it's unacceptable that people work without getting paid. And we've tried a number of measures to try and fix the, you know, the Phoenix system. But listen, you know, when the Conservatives brought in the Phoenix system, they all simultaneously, uh, you know, terminated about 700 uh, pay pay experts. Those pay experts are highly skilled individuals. It was very difficult to find those people again. They were all working for uh, other companies, uh, you know, no desire really to come back. We've had incredible support from the unions in terms of trying to address this problem, but it's simply not going away fast enough and too many families are struggling. And so, yes, there's an acknowledgement that we need to be looking to the future about how we actually transition from uh, you know, this system to one that's going to work for a complex employer like the Government of Canada. Minister, we have a provincial government in Manitoba who's been working very hard for the last two years to reduce the deficit here in Manitoba. They've reduced uh, their costs. They've been doing everything they can to be efficient within education and health, and that has had very degree of response from the public, from unions, etc. This government, this federal government budget, uh, calls for an $18.1 billion deficit. And if my math is correct, it's about $500 million for Manitobans. Uh, why is that acceptable? You know, we have the lowest debt-to-GDP ratio in the G7. When we uh, won the election, we proposed an alternative approach to austerity budgeting, and we said, look, Canadians, if we invest in Canadians, they are going to take those investments and they're going to grow their businesses, they're going to support their, their communities, they're going, to, you know, they're going to buy the things they need, and our economy will, will uh, you know, start to uh, recover. And in fact, that's exactly what we see. We have the fastest-growing economy simultaneously in the G7. We've added, you know, 600,000 jobs 
by Canadians created over the last couple of years that are most of them full-time. Uh, lowest unemployment rate, uh, rate in over 40 years since we started counting the unemployment rate. So what we know is that this investment is, is uh, you know, is working. And so as we, as we continue forward, we have a plan to, you know, balance the budget. But right now what we know is that we need to continue this track of, of thoughtful and prudent investing so that Canadians have the skills and the tools that they need to continue to grow their economy, but also their communities. Well, if things have never been better in terms of the economy and the unemployment rate, isn't now the very best time to tackle the deficit? What I would say is that, you know, now we're reaching new problems. So the new problem is that as the Minister of Employment, I can tell you as I cross, across, you know, across, go across the country, what I'm hearing is that we simply don't have enough people to actually fill the jobs and do the kinds of things that um, employers need done all across this country to, to uh, you know, to earn, uh, to continue their, their, their earning patterns. And so what I would say is the kinds of investments we're making is really tapping into those people that haven't had that fair chance at success, whether it's Indigenous people or newcomers or women who are earning less than 28 cents less on every dollar on average in this country. What we know is if we can actually get everybody to their full potential, that's when we uh, will have an economy that's firing on all cylinders and we'll be able to be confident in the sustaining um, nature of that, of that growing economy. Minister Haidu, where are you going to be today? Where, where can people come see you? Well, I'm here today at the Museum uh, of, um, of Human Rights. It's such a, a great place to be. I'll be talking about the budget with a number of stakeholders. And, uh, you know, this museum is also receiving additional support. So some, you know, recognition of just the important role that it plays here, not just in Manitoba, but for all, all of us across the country. All right. Thank you so much, Patty Haidu, Canada's Minister of Employment, Workforce Development and Labour. One, two, three. I'm Brett McGarry. He is Greg Macklin, and she is Shanalee Vidal. Good morning, Shanalee. Good morning, Brett. Good morning, Greg. Good morning, Shanalee. I'm enjoying the halo effect. You're looking very <laughs> angelic with that blue sky behind you and the sunshine behind you in the window across from me right now. So nice to see you this morning. I will take the compliment. Thank Please you, Please do. Take it and run. They're not always coming from this direction, so enjoy it. So uh, I know we heard some some sad news. Uh, and Tristan Field Jones is probably pretty sad because he loves pizza pops so much. So the inventor of the pizza pops has passed away at the age of, I believe he was 89. And the thing is, pizza pops were invented right here in Winnipeg. And they're actually made in Winnipeg, which I, not a lot of people know. I didn't I know no that idea. second part. I did not know that either. And indeed, he was 89 years old. Yeah, they're made uh, right here in Fort Garry. And I believe they're only only produced for Canada. Wow. Yeah. That's great. I know. It's like our our little uh, our little thing. So in honor in honor of the pizza pops, I thought let's talk about three inventions you didn't know had a Winnipeg connection. Okay, I'm going to have a drink to Paul Faraci, the inventor of pizza pops. So the first one is really simple and it's a very useful item, the garbage bag. Okay. This one goes back to the late 40s. We have a Winnipegger named Harry Wasilek. He started making these plastic bags at home out of uh, polyethylene, which at the time was a new material. Sold the bags to Winnipeg General Hospital, and they would use the bags to line their garbage cans. And soon the demand for these bags grew, so he opened up a plant. In the meantime, there are uh, two other Canadians who had similar ideas and started making garbage bags on their own. Uh, one, of those, one of those guys uh, was from a company called Union Carbet. 
buyed, and that company ended up buying uh, Harry's plant because they were already making the bags, and they saw that he had a, a great idea. So there you go, the garbage bag invented garbage right here bag. in Winnipeg. And, uh, and garbage mitts are actually a uh, Winnipeg thing, aren't they? They absolutely are. And actually, I was talking to Brett McGarry about that. I may have a treat for him in the next couple of weeks, but <laughs> we'll, we'll leave that. We'll let that lie. And if you're, you don't know what a garbage mitt is, uh, you'll you'll learn soon enough and uh, you'll be a true Winnipegger. But for anyone who doesn't know, there are those kind of leathery mitts yeah. that have like, uh, uh, I don't know if it's like sheep or something. Sheepskin uh, lined and they're sort of yellow leather and some of them will have a, a red, a red uh, a stitched band around the cuff. Uh, they Yeah, they are invented and made here in Winnipeg for a long time. They're very distinctive. So number two, this one uh, may not have been technically invented here, but it has a Winnipeg connection. had no idea about this one. Uh, so Martin Cooper is known as the father of the cell phone, and he actually lived here in Winnipeg as a child. He mm-hmm. moved here with his parents. They came from Chicago, and his parents actually ended up running a grocery store in the North End. So Cooper uh, went on to work for Motorola in the 1970s, and it was there he invented the mobile cell phone, the first no- mobile cell phone. That was in 1973. And then he led the team that uh, finally brought it to the market back in 1983. And that that would have been like the big brick cell phone at the time. You remember those? Yeah, they were great for working out with. I, I, don't, <laughs> I don't quite remember them, uh, but... Uh, but I, but I've seen them on TV, and it's and it's when you're watching an old show and you're seeing somebody use a cell phone, like some rich person or something, and you're just you just have to laugh because yep. it was a big deal at the time. But the technology has come so far since then. I remember, and I think it was around 1995. Everyone started to get those uh, when they were a bit smaller. The Motorola phones. My buddy Mike uh, Rogers actually was one of the first people I ever saw that had a slim battery. On that, because okay. you know that phone, it was they, they. I, I won't call it a flip phone, but it was the one where just the bottom flipped up. Sure. Um, and I think it. I don't know if it covered the keypad, but he then he got a slim battery and could actually fit the whole thing in his pocket. That was incredible. Oh, he was ahead of the curve <laughs> on that one. <laughs> What's number three, Shanley? Three. This one. This is the probably one that blew my mind the most. Uh, instant replay. Come Would on. It be, yeah. Winnipegger George George Retzlaff was the inventor of that. Hold on now. He's not just a Winnipegger. He went to Daniel Mack. He went to Daniel Mack. That's right. That's right. And he went into sports journalism in 1953. He became producer of Hockey Night in Canada. And uh, shortly after, he uh, was experimenting with a special type of film that could be developed really quickly, maybe in like 30 seconds or so, so he could try it to replay game moments. Eventually, that led to some broadcasters using a, a slow motion to do a uh, type of sports replay. And then finally, CBS sports director Tony Verna uh, figured out a way to make a standard videotape machine replay instantly. The really interesting part about the story as it pertains to Hockey Night in Canada is they had the technology in Toronto, but they didn't have it in Montreal. So they actually sat on the technology because CBC didn't want Toronto to have something that Montreal didn't. Come on. So they actually had instant replay and the ability to do it much sooner than they ended up using it on Hockey Night in Canada. I had the honor of meeting George Retzlaff before he passed away. He was a a colleague of my grandfather's back in the day. And uh, of course, uh, being fellow Daniel Mack uh, graduates, we uh, hit it off immediately. This is one of my favorite Winnipeg cool thing stories. And he actually passed away in 2003. Is that right? That sounds about right. Shanalee. All right. Three things with Shanalee. Thank you very much. Heard every 
morning here on 680 CJOB after the 8 o'clock news. The Trudeau government tabled a budget yesterday that will use billions of dollars worth of fresh fiscal runway for new investments, a decision that leaves Ottawa with no timetable for balanced books anywhere on its horizon. In fact, it includes an $18.1 billion deficit. Finance Minister Bill Morneau's budget will channel extra dollars into new spending that he's banking on to lift Canada's long term growth. To talk more about the federal budget, we're joined now from Ottawa by Global Nationals Abigail Beeman. Good morning, Abigail. Good morning. So Abigail, we've talked a lot already this morning about numbers and this they're doing this and they're doing that. It just lots of specifics, but I'm wondering, does anything jump out just as kind of helping the average middle class Canadian? I think what really jumps out on the whole is that this is a fairly modest budget, even with all that spending. There's nothing flashy. There's nothing that's going to grab the attention of the, you know, average middle class Canadian. And it's all, uh, in effect, an effort to set the groundwork for next year's budget, which of course will come in an election year. So I think that that's where you can see some things that will really have, the Liberals are hoping will, the average voter will grab onto and be interested in. So save sort of the flash in the pan for next year. A good example example of that is the pharmacare plan. So we uh, heard a lot about that. It was leaked the day before the budget. But uh, as I, I'm sure you noticed, no no actual specifics on pharmacare in this year's budget, just a plan to look into it and research the issue. And next year will be when we when we see some some actual specifics as to how that will work. Okay, so if uh, low and average um, and middle class Canadians don't have anything to celebrate here, what about low income Canadians? Well, there has been a, a revamp to the Canada Workers Benefit Program, so benefits for uh, low-income Canadians. There's also been a boost to the uh, Canada Child Benefit, so definitely uh, some some improvements there. But one of the economists that we spoke to was very critical that in this whole gender-focused budget, there really wasn't a lot of attention paid to childcare in general. So the benefit is increased, and also the encouragement for women to go back to work by providing some extra uh, weeks of parental leave is there, but nothing to address the uh, large issue of childcare shortages and the cost of childcare spaces in this country. So the way that that economist put it was, you've set the groundwork here, but you're missing a, a key ingredient. Is a political budget an automatic, damned if you do, damned if you don't kind of scenario for any level of government? Well, certainly no matter what the Liberals put forward in this budget, they would have been criticized one way or the other. For example, again, going back to pharmacare, this was an NDP idea, but the NDP were very critical of it when it came out yesterday, saying there's no costing here. There, there's no detail. So, uh, to an extent, yes, you're going to be, you're going to be criticized on, on one side or the other. Global Nationals Abigail Beeman joining us from Ottawa, Mackling McGarry uh, this morning on 680 CJOB. Earlier in our program, Abigail, we had the Minister of Employment, Workforce Development and Labour, Patty Haydu, on the uh, budget. We had a conversation with her and I asked the question with regard to, you know, if you can't balance a budget now or at least reduce the deficit, Justin Trudeau would use the kind of the guideline of $10 billion as kind of the ceiling where he wanted to see deficits and, you know, we're seeing almost double that. If you can't balance it now, when on earth are you going to be able to balance the budget? That has to be a question that's circulating in Ottawa right now. 
it's a big question because, of course, you'll remember that this was one of the big election or campaign promises back in 2015. The Liberals said that they were going to balance the budget. Uh, not only, as you say, are we not seeing this now, although worth pointing out that the deficit is shrinking slightly compared to last year and projected to shrink again next year. But the finance minister can't say when a balanced budget will happen. So uh, it, it goes back to the fact that this was a major promise back in 2015. We'll see what the promise is in the uh, election campaign is next year. And Abigail, another thing that I'm just looking at the list of highlights here, and this was a big story uh, in many parts of the country, including here in Manitoba, which is uh, people trying to hop the border and seek asylum. And I see that they've put the in this budget, there's $173 million to support claim processing and improve border security. Uh, Did that come as a surprise to anybody? I don't think so because it is something that has been a big issue, as as you mentioned. It's it's been talked about not just in Manitoba uh, but across the country. How do we better deal with this issue? So uh, it's not a huge amount of money in the in the grand scheme when you look at that budget, but it's certainly something that had been called for. Abigail, I don't know if you noticed this part. Uh, you are obviously well versed in this document backwards and forwards. The Canadian I'm government... waiting for what you're going to catch me on. <laughs> We're not trying to set you up for anything. Just want to know if you noticed that the budget says that some paper currency will no longer be legal tender, including $1,000 bills. Well, you got me, for sure. What, what page is that on? I'll go and take a look at it. <laughs> it is in page 367 of the ah, budget document. We've stopped making $1,000 bills. Uh, they stopped doing that 18 years ago in 2000. But there are still 700,000 $1,000 bills in circulation. I'm not really very good at math. But I think that's about $70 million if, if I'm, I'm in the neighborhood. I believe that's right. 7,000 times 1,000, um, 700, no, it's more than that. I'm going to break out the calculator. Bottom line on this is uh, $2 bills might be uh, eliminated as legal tender as well. Anyway, it was it was one of those kind of goofy things that we found in the budget, and we weren't setting you up there. We just wanted to know well, if well you noticed it. <laughs> I had not noticed that one, so, so well done. I can't say that I have a lot of thousands sitting around. <laughs> <laughs> that was our next question. <laughs> to look at, yeah, no. Yeah. <laughs> Especially when you ask how this will affect um, middle-class Canadians. Yeah, we, well, we were just wondering if you what that was going to do when you handed out tips at the restaurants, if you're going to have to change your strategy now. So. <laughs> right, absolutely. Not for me, but maybe there are some Canadians out there who will be impacted by that. All right. Abigail Beeman, thank you so much for joining us. Global Nationals, Pleasure. Abigail Beeman, joining us on Federal Budget 2018. We're actually going to talk a little bit more about the federal budget, specifically as it pertains to the environment WWF, World Wildlife Fund, going to join us in a moment, but first... $700 million worth of $1,000 bills circulating Uh, in the economy. Greg Mackling just pulled out his calculator. The Canadian government took a big step toward protecting species at risk with a $1.3 billion budget commitment over five years. World Wildlife Fund Canada is welcoming this news, saying support for species at risk is past due. Joining us live on 680 CJOB is Megan Leslie, who is president and CEO of WWF Canada. Megan, thank you for joining us this morning. It's my pleasure. Obviously, uh, Manitoba, uh, world-renowned for its wildlife, Okamak Marsh, uh, the yeah. world capital of polar bears up in, in Churchill. Uh, why is this good news for those of us in Manitoba? 
Yeah, it's pretty good news. So Canada actually signed on to protect 17% of its land and inland waters by 2020. This is an international commitment we made. And uh, it's great to sign on to these things, but you kind of need money if you're going to actually be successful in, in that kind of protection. And so the money that we saw in the budget, $1.3 billion, as you said, uh, it's, it's really, I think it's historic. I don't know that I've seen this kind of uh, concerted effort budget-wise towards creating protected spaces and uh, taking on the issue of species at risk. So we're pretty... We're pretty happy. Now, why is this important? Well, we, we have a biodiversity crisis. Uh, you see animals uh, that are on the brink of extinction around the world. And here in Canada, you think, well, we have all this land, you know, how can this actually be a problem for us in Canada? Well, it is. Uh, this fall, WWF Canada, we actually put out this report called the Living Planet Report, where we looked at vertebrates uh, around Canada, and we found that there are 50% decline in vertebrates since 1970. And there are lots of populations where it's even deeper than that. So it's a huge problem here in Canada, and it is it is in Manitoba as well. Are there any specific species that, uh, that will be protected as a result of this funding? Well, that's the, that's the rub. We don't know yet. Uh, thinking about some uh, species of concern for you, uh, you know, there's a, been a 50% drop in, in grassland birds across the prairies, Manitoba and the prairies. Um, and if we look at woodland caribou as an example, we know that that population is threatened, it's in decline. And you think about, well, how do we fix that? Um, I'll give the example of the Swiss, Swiss fox, where we've seen incredible conservation efforts to protecting the species and bringing it back from the brink. And it's, it's working, but not as well as we want it to, which shows that you can't just pick a species. You actually have to look at an ecosystem. Because if, if we go back to woodland caribou, it's so many things. It's, it's the logging and the mining and the gas development, and it impacts the predator-prey relationship. It disrupts critical calving and overwintering periods. So we have to look at the whole ecosystem. Now, those details aren't in the budget. Budget really is about money. Uh, but we're looking forward to working with government to figure out how do we do this work? Because it's, it's going to be difficult, but I think we can do it. Megan, a lot of times these are land use issues, right? It's not necessarily mm. just about saving wildlife and exactly. in great big capital letters. It has to do with how we use land and how we protect certain types of land and, and cordon off their, their usage. Yeah, so you hit the nail on the head, and what we want to do at WWF is ensure that nature and people can thrive, because uh, it's not about saying, oh, well, we can't use this land anymore, and we have to just put a fence around it. Uh, if you talk to farmers, heck, if you talk to the oil and gas industry, they don't want to have a negative impact on woodland caribou. That's not their goal. That's not their mission. Uh, and they're actually willing to work with government or with organizations like ours to figure out what the solutions can be. Uh, and we can come up with good, innovative solutions. One thing I'm going to be watching is, does this money mean that we are just going to put some fences around some, you know, not to be too flippant, but some random piece of land that is easy? Or are we going to tackle these hard problems? They, they are difficult. They're not going to come easily. But I do think that 
whether it's it's farmers or loggers, I do think that everybody wants to come to the table and figure out what the solutions can be. Now, Megan, Leslie, President and CEO of WWF Canada, World Wildlife Fund Canada, I also see an additional $167 million over five years will go toward the research and preservation of endangered whale species, including mm-hmm. southern resident orcas, North Atlantic right whales, and belugas in the St. Lawrence estuary. And so my question to you would be, uh, I mean, I have kind of a vague idea, but I would really like to hear yeah. your perspective on this. Why is that important? Why do we need to preserve these endangered species? Oh, gosh. Well, if we look at the southern resident killer whale, there's 76 of them. Uh, If we look at the right whale deaths that we saw on the East Coast, I mean, it kind of captured the imagination of so many Canadians watching as, as we saw whale death after whale death. There are fewer than 500 of them. And we know that uh, they're, they're sort of scanning the calving uh, waters right now, and, and scientists have not been able to find mothers and calves. Uh, so we don't know if that population is going to be able to uh, bounce back. So it's critical. The money for, for, for this piece is critical because um, if you're going to do things like, for example, encourage the fishing industry to switch uh, gear um, so use ropes that are that can break more easily so whales don't get entangled, or even uh, ropeless gear, which is a possibility. Uh, there's going to need to be an investment in um, figuring out those technologies and helping fishermen, uh, just as an example, um, helping fishermen transition to that kind of gear. And it's, it's, it is a desperate moment uh, for these whales, so it has to happen now. Megan Leslie, President and CEO of World Wildlife Fund Canada. Uh, Thank you for this. Uh, Megan, please uh, join us again sometime, won't you? I'd love to. Thanks for the offer. One of our favorite guests, Professor Popsicle is how we know him. He is Professor Gordon Giesbrecht from the University of Manitoba, and he's brought with him Dr. Neil Pollock from University Laval. And this has to do with an underwater symposium on drowning prevention that is happening tonight at the U of M. So, Professor Popsicle, thank you so much for joining us once again on CJOB. Hey, it's great to be here. Thanks. So you're stepping outside the box once again in the interest of sharing important knowledge and information. So, so we'll start with you, Professor Giesbrecht. This is, we've spoken before, you and I have spoken before about uh, being in a vehicle and how to survive uh, drowning. <laughs> so why is this subject so important for you? Well, uh, 10% of uh, drownings happen in cars. A lot of people don't know that, so that's like 400 people a year in Canada and the U.S. And the real tragedy of of that is that most people, after their car has hit the water, for whatever reason, most of the time they're uninjured and fully functional, and there's no reason that they drown in that car except they don't know what to do. There's a lot of reasons they just stay there, they do nothing, they panic, whatever. And so our message is very simple. Uh, you've got about a minute to get out of the car, and uh, we call it the SWOC principle, S-W-O-C, seat belts off, windows open, out now, children first. And uh, so we've got, we've got our, the, uh, we call it the SVS, the Submersible Vehicle Simulator, that will be hanging in the water, and uh, we will uh, demonstrate underwater, you know, what you would do when you're on top of the water, but the whole symposium is underwater. And uh, we'll, we'll, part of what we'll do is demonstrate what uh, a person should do, including if they have children, 
Uh, there will be no children hurt in the making of this symposium. They're dolls, but uh, it'll be a real adult anyway. Well, a lot of the technology and vehicles today has been dedicated to, uh, you know, uh, automated line or uh, lane departure technology, this sort of thing. Uh, do I feel and can I feel comfortable that if my car is submerged, my windows are going to open if this is part of the process I'm supposed to follow, if I've got electronic or electric yep. windows, which most of us have by now? Yep. Uh, yeah, 95% of vehicles have electric windows, and they will work certainly for 30, 40 seconds a minute. And the reality is, if you understand, take off your seatbelt and your next move is to open the windows, that, that's 10 seconds. So your windows will work as long as, as long as the windows are above the water. Once you sink, if you wait more than a minute, the vehicle sinks more, the water rises up and pushes against the window, and then it doesn't matter because it's like I push against your window in the parking lot, you won't be able to open it. Now, and I think uh, there might have been a perception once upon a time that you wait until the car submerged before yeah, opening we, the window. Is, is that accurate? And, yeah. and clearly that's not what yeah. you do. Everybody has heard some version of you can't open the doors because the water's high and there's pressure against them. So in order to solve, that's a true statement. To solve that problem, you should let the vehicle fill with water, then the the pressure will be equal and the door can open. That also is a true statement. The problem is by then you'll probably have drowned. And uh, so uh, th there's no reason to stay in a vehicle to wait. The issue is you got to get your seatbelt off, open the window and get out. Now, one of the speakers at the symposium, which by the way, the symposium, they're going to be speaking Underwater, so we got to talk a little bit about that. That sounds cool, the first of its kind. Uh, but Dr. Neil Pollock of the Divers Alert Network at University of Laval will speak on shallow water blackouts, and he's, as we mentioned earlier, one of our guests here in studio. Uh, shallow water blackout, what's that? Well, that's actually a great question because it's not what a lot of people think. It's actually a term that's now used to say many things. So we're going to talk about what it is and what it isn't. When children particularly lose consciousness in a pool, it's often called shallow water blackout. And that isn't the classical way we would present that. Shallow water blackout in the diving world occurs when someone dives down and based on their behavior, hyperventilating before they dive, they can extend their breath hold time. But on the way back up, as they're consuming oxygen and the pressure around them is falling they lose oxygen content quickly and they lose consciousness. That's how we'd classically define shallow water blackout. But in the pool, every time you have a healthy person who ends up being unconscious, they're, it, it's called shallow water blackout when it isn't. But what they are getting, the problem here, let's jump to the end. Hyperventilation is what's killing a lot of people. We're seeing on the order of 60 fatalities a year. And it's occurring because people are extending their breath hold time by hyperventilating before they breath hold. And that takes away the safety buffers that we have that help us stay conscious, our drive to breathe. And so we have to make sure that people realize that yes, this technique works, but if you employ it too aggressively, you can lose consciousness without warning. There is no warning. There's no sense, no aura. You can lose consciousness. And if you're in the water, you will drown. So that's what we're trying to avoid. So where would we normally pick up these techniques that would prevent this from happening? Uh, Life-saving uh, skills in terms of uh, swimming lessons? Where, where would we learn these techniques outside of coming to your seminar? Tonight, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's a perfect question, and this is the problem. Uh, there are some people who are seeing the deaths in swimming pools, and they're saying we have to ban all breath hold activity. 
And so they're actually going away from education. They're just saying, don't ever hold your breath and you won't have a problem. And while that would work if people would follow that advice, people don't. They want to hold their breath a little bit longer, so they will hyperventilate, breathe in and out quickly in excess of what they need to. And that, once they do that, and they say, wow, that allowed me to hold my breath a little bit longer, I'll do it again. And then they do it again. Well, if no one tells them that there's a very fine line between extending your breath hold and risking the loss of consciousness, then they're in trouble because kids or adults can discover this without any equipment. They can discover it on their own. But unless they're educated to appreciate that that hyperventilation creates a risk, they may not learn the lesson until they, they learn it the hard way. Dr. Gordon Giesbrecht, we know him as Professor Popsicle from the U of M, and Dr. Neil Pollack, who is with University Laval. Thank you very much, gentlemen, for telling us about this today. Thanks for having us. Wow. You hit all the marks there, Jerry. Both Van Halen audio snack and some outstanding drumming from the one and only Alex Van Halen. Macklin McGarry in the morning, 936. Hot for teacher indeed. Uh, we've got a nice day shaping up. And uh, it's going to be a hot weekend this weekend. Indian and African cultures will be showcased through dance at something called... It's called Yofa Nana, and it's at the Gas Station Arts Center at Nafro Dance Productions. And our friend Kaz Nusi is here. Great to see you again, Kaz. Oh, How are you, you doing, my friend? I'm good. I'm good. How about yourself? Uh, we're doing great, yeah, well. and it's always great to see you. Your energy is infectious. Oh. <laughs> and uh, uh, Brett mentioned that he was just thinking about you the other day when uh, we found out that you were going to be coming to join us on the show yeah, today. Yeah, it was funny. I just, I don't know what, what made me think of it. I don't know if I was walking by something. I think that's what it was. I was out for a walk in Osborne Village, and I saw an ad yes. for Nafro Dance, and I thought... We have to have that guy back on. Yeah, well, thank you for inviting me <laughs> and back. Then, and then the yeah. next day, Shanalee says, that guy's coming back oh, on. Oh, <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. So, uh, I think I should go. <laughs> yeah, thank you. What kind of drum is that you've well, brought in is, with you today? Yeah, this is a Palogo. It's, 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 uh, it's, um, uh, they play these drums in, in, in Ghana, you know, uh, for high-life music. High-life, you know, like a disco kind of, but uh, uh, it's more outside and uh, for, for celebration. And it's very, very, very popular. It's not... Is is it different than uh, the most um, uh, known drums like in Jembe uh, from uh, West Africa? This one is a little bit more. <laughs> Something like that, you know? Yeah. Can can connect the cultures for us. Indian culture and African culture have they been intrinsically entwined for a long time? Yes, um, uh, Yofanana is, is is that the productions that Nafro Dance uh, is presenting this coming weekend, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Uh, Friday, Saturday is eight eight p.m. and Sunday two p.m. Well. Um, the idea is to explore the the, the those uh, the, the Indian and African culture. Um, some people that they have been in Africa, they may know that, for example, uh, uh, African food. There's a lot of uh, Indian spice in mix it in it. In it, you know, in in the Indian clothes, you know, outfit and so on. Somehow designs also you may find similar to African. Um, uh, hundred years ago, uh, uh, um, 
before before uh, European uh, came to colonize Africa, it was a trade going on, trade of goods, trade of spices. Artists were used to travel back and forth to do those trades. Uh, so um, we exploring those similarity because by that time they build it. Uh, uh, when when they do they, they used to do that to travel they of course the cultural exchange at the same time they leave uh, those remarks in each other and so in Indian dance movement you may find some movements like African in African dance movement you may find a gesture like like that India so there's that similarity beside costume food and so on how did Justin Trudeau do with his uh, Indian dance where, where did you did you grade that and uh, did he does he get a passing grade uh, well, uh, well uh, uh, I don't know uh, I don't know but he wasn't wasn't that bad I mean you know what I mean yeah it's it's, it's a it's, it, 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 I mean for a, a western is there's some vocabularies are a little bit uh, different uh, and uh, and uh, I I think it, it should come to see the show. <laughs> I love it. So the 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 group that you've paired up with for this show uh, once again, Yofanana, running from March second through March fourth. So that's this weekend at the gas station arts center. Uh, you've paired up with a group that is based out of Montreal. Uh, yes, is the choreograph is the choreograph that does uh, uh, Indian contemporary. Yeah, so we we doing African contemporary. So what uh, what 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 I did is inviting uh, I invited the choreographer to come and to work uh, with us with with the Nafro dance at the company and to set up a, a piece that uh, collaboration like uh, the, uh, exploring this theme. So we both. Him and myself, we build. We did the choreography and build the music around it. And uh, as as you know, Nafro dance, we use live music within within you know drums, xylophones, and chanties, all, all those all, all those things that they involve. So we build that that choreography all together. Uh, me and him, you know, are sharing the stage. I can't imagine. That it's possible to sit in your seat while you're watching this performance. Is it is it no. interactive? No, no, you can't sit. You can sit still because it's you know it's always involving. There's a chanting. There's all all the the the, the drumming. The, the 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 musicality of it is this. And even when you see dancers, this stamping you know steps uh, the the rhythmically uh, is it's very 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 energetic and involved I see that Nafro Dance Productions which uh, was started back in 2002 by the way um is the only African contemporary dance company in Western Canada Yes Why do you think that is Well the, the, the Nafro Dance when when we start uh um I mean when when I moved to oh, I immigrated to Winnipeg my town now, my lovely town. Uh, 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 I want to, uh, I want to, to start up uh, a dance uh, and sharing the African uh, aesthetics, you know, African cultural aesthetics. So, um, <clears throat> it, 
by that time was known of professional, you know, professional dance. So it really, really was to start from the beginning. Um, for me, where I come from, I, uh, I used to be artistic director of Mozambique National Dance Company. That's the country where I come from. And uh, um, I started uh, dance at the Elvin Yale American Dance Center in New York. So, but moving here was something new. I had to start from the top and to build it. I did the research. I find non-Western uh, uh Canada, we had such a thing. So I started building 15 years ago, and, and, and now we are cruising it. Well, you've uh, you've taught all over the world. You've performed all over the world. I'm interested to know how receptive Winnipeg is overall to your celebrations and to your performances. Are, are we are we getting it? Um, Winnipeg got uh, one of the things that I fell in love about this city is that. Uh, it, and I, I, I still love it uh, so much. is uh, It's very multicultural, uh, and that is opening door for artists like myself to establish uh, uh, my artistry. Um, it's very open uh, because it's multicultural, so it's open to different. Uh, uh, ideas, uh, cultural ideas, and also different artworks. So um, in the, that makes Winnipeg unique. Uh, I, uh, I travel, I've traveled uh, so many places, uh, I, and Winnipeg is, is, has like specific way of uh, 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 Interactive with artists, uh, it's it's not that big, but it's big enough to attend uh, music performers, dance performer, you know, exhibit at art gallery and and so on. Everything is moving at the same time. Although it's not that many people, like the big cities like Montreal and so on, it's a small city. But it's amazing to find that there's no lack of audience. Whatever whatever things that you're putting out as artist, people will come. And even if you, we have a three, five event, big event going on, you will find the people. People will, will come. Is that that what uh, the the unique about about Winnipeg is set apart uh, than other parts that have been like Oslo and uh, even Moscow and uh, those places that I've been. Yeah, those are big cities, and uh, and but this this is small, but is in that level of the big city. Nafro Dance presents Yofanana. It's running March 2nd through March 4th, so this Friday through Sunday. Uh, the Friday show and Saturday shows are at 8 p.m., and then Sunday is at 2 p.m. at the Gas Station Arts Centre. Casmiro Nusi is the man behind Nafro Dance, and uh, you can get tickets online at nafrodance.com. Again, that website is nafrodance.com, spelled N-A-F-R-O, dance.com. And uh, again, it's a blending. Uh, we were a... Uh, 
combination. You've got African dance culture, you have Indian dance culture, because for hundreds of years the Indian Ocean was still, was and still is a vehicle for cultural interactions between India and Africa. Mr. Nusi, uh, I guess we've got we've to get out of here, so do yeah. you want to play us out? You brought, uh, <laughs> what did you call it? Uh, That's a Pologo. Pologo. Thanks to Behind the Glass Jerry, Shanley Vidal. I'm Brett McGarry. He's Greg Mackling. Thank you for listening to 680 CJOB.